Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. For 30 years before George Washington was popular, the most famous George in the New World was George Whitfield. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Kenneth Lawson, writing about the impact of Reverend George Whitefield on revolutionary America. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode of Dispatches is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publisher of Liberty is Sweet, The Hidden History of the American Revolution by Woody Holton. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Kenneth Lawson. And he'll be talking about the impact of George Whitefield on American revolutionary uh, ministers, parsons, and holy men of all sorts. This is one of those great articles that gets me really excited about this show. We talk about a lot of battles and generals and uh, battlefields and documents and these kind of things, but uh, we have to remember the role, and it was a very important role, that religion played in colonial America and how religion was often, I guess, uh, uh, an inroad for other kind of perhaps revolutionary ideas, like where you can practice and how you can worship challenging the norms of the day. That's what the Enlightenment was all about. And the American Revolution was, of course, a a child of the Enlightenment. It's a great article. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Kenneth Lawson. Kenneth Lawson, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brady. I'm glad to be here. Tell us about your background. Well, I have just completed a career as an Army chaplain. I served for over 34 years, enlisted an officer, reserve, and active, and my family and I lived throughout the United States and in different parts of the world, and I served in uh, peacetime and wartime assignments and um, natural disasters and civil disturbances and such things, and uh, during the time of my being a chaplain, uh, the Army also used me as a historian, and so I was able to research and write multiple Uh, pamphlets and books and booklets related to chaplaincy issues. And so the article that we're discussing today about George Whitfield and the colonial American chaplaincy uh, is really something that has been of interest to mine of mine for a long time, Uh, not only as a chaplain, uh, but also as someone who admires Whitfield uh, for in many ways uh, for his uh, preaching ability, for his um, trans-denominationalism, and what I mean by that is he was able to minister to lots of people uh, of various uh, denominational backgrounds, and I experienced that also as a military chaplain. Uh, you go into a chap- you're a chaplain, and you go into a unit, and you don't know whether you're talking about to religious soldiers or non-religious soldiers or uh, various Christian denominations or no religion at all or uh, another religion that's not Christian, and so you're dealing with all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. And I realized that there was somebody in history uh, who had an influence on military chaplains named 
George Whitfield, and he was also one of those trans-denominational people, meaning he was effective in all kinds of situations dealing with all kinds of people from various religious persuasions. And so my background as a chaplain and also as a historian sort of drew me to George Whitfield and his influence on colonial chaplains in the American Revolution. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, it's actually, uh, Brady, it's actually part of a much, much larger project. Um, over the years, I've been picking away at a, at a book level, a book length project on George Whitfield. And that is a, an almost overwhelming task because he was uh, relentless in his travels uh, throughout the American colonies, but also through uh, Great Britain, Ireland, Bermuda. And so there's a lot of material there. So because I'm from New England and I'm a New Englander, I kind of focused on uh, George Whitfield's ministry, his influence in New England. And Whitfield's years of ministry or um, were um, 17, essentially 1740 to 1770 were his most influential years. And during that time, Whitfield uh, was one who was uh, gathering much, a lot of attention, uh, not all of it positive. Uh, so I was interested in how he handled the religious conflict of his day. Uh, some people enjoyed his preaching and some people didn't. Uh, that was very unusual to be neutral about Whitfield. It seems like people either loved him or hated him. Uh, he was from the Church of England, and so uh, those folks in New England, in the New England colonies, were very suspicious of the Church of England, the British king, and the bishop, the uh, Church of England uh, uh, prelate, the bishop of the church, and were very suspicious of him because New Englanders were non-traditionalists or, or non-conformists is probably a better word, which means they didn't conform to the Church of England. So New England was full of people that were Congregational and Presbyterian and Baptist and other denominations. And really, there was a strain between the religious backgrounds of the New Englanders and the Church of England and Great Britain itself. And here comes George Whitfield, who's an ordained priest of the Church of England. Now, he's representing the church that these colonists don't have any sympathy for, and yet he was able to have a tremendous influence on these dissenting church groups. And uh, so I found that fascinating, and it sort of drew me into more interest in digging deeper into this topic. Talk a little bit about George Whitefield's background. Sure. Uh, George Whitefield was born in 1714 in England. Uh, as a young man around 19 or 20, he was ordained as a priest in the Church of England. And Whitfield's claim to fame, and this is from both those who praise him and those who cursed him, uh, was his speaking voice. No one doubted that he had a sensational speaking voice, a voice of uh, very clear distinction, but also just booming through um, th literally thousands of people would hear him speak uh, outside in a field uh, if a church building, a meeting house was close to him, he would speak outside to thousands. In fact, Benjamin Franklin in Philadelphia was a, a supporter of Whitfield, not in Whitfield's theology, but in Whitfield's influence on the colonies. And so Benjamin Franklin did a calculation with his uh, analytical mind, and he, Whitfield was preaching in Philadelphia, so Benjamin Franklin paced off 
how many feet and how many people to stand would take up how many square feet and did a calculation. And he came up with almost 20,000 people could hear Whitfield speak outside in Philadelphia. And so that's just a remarkable thing about him. It was his speaking voice. And, and that just drew people to him, whether they were religious or not. Uh, some people called him uh, a, a drama person, a person who would speak uh, with huge voice inflections and great um, variation in body language and, and being animated as he spoke, whereas almost theatrical, whereas most of the ministers in that day, or at least the vast majority of them, um, they just read sermons and, and were not uh, really animated. And so people came to hear the show. There wasn't a whole lot to do in colonial America, and, and here's this sensational speaker, and you can go into a field and hear him speak or into a church building, and you could not only visit with your neighbors and catch up on the latest gossip, but you could hear this sensational preacher with this voice that just shook people into their soul. So that was really one of the things that um, made Whitfield's uh, rise to prominence um, significant, is the speaking voice. But another thing was his theology. And this is a little bit, a little bit deeper, but um, I'll just explain it as best I can. In New England, New England settlers were almost, or primarily uh, English Puritans. And English Puritans had a very distinct set of theology called Calvinism. And many people have interpreted Calvinism of that day as being very strict, um, very sober, uh, don't laugh, uh, don't have fun, just uh, be fearful of this terrible God who could crush you, uh, as Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, said, we as humans are like spiders hanging on a thread over a flame. Well, that's really not a very celebrative way to live your life. And so Whitfield came, and he didn't disagree with what the, the theology of New England's Puritan founding fathers but he made the message more personal, uh, more significant for individuals. He, he came to popularity because he, he allowed people to make a choice. He encouraged them to choose God, to choose faith, to not wait for some divine uh, sign or symbol from the heavens or, or some radical movement or emotional uh, experience to change you. He, he said, you need to have personal faith in this God of your forefathers. And that really shook a lot of people. Uh, some people said, no way. You know, we, we need our liturgies and our ceremonies and our prayer book, and this is the way we've always done it. And others said, this is like a breath of fresh air from heaven. We want to hear more. And so Whitfield traveled more and more and got more and more popular and, and made multiple trips through all 13 colonies. Um, my paper on Whitfield and the chaplaincy covers five New England clergymen uh, from Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. Uh, it's, you know, I only covered five, but I could have been literally ten times that number if I had talked about chaplains from Georgia and South Carolina all the way up to New England, but there simply wasn't time for that. So you asked me about um, a little bit about Whitfield's background, and I spoke about his speaking voice and about his theology. But the third thing about Whitfield that is important for people to know who may not be familiar with him was his relentless schedule. He, he was an itinerant preacher, and itinerant simply means traveling preacher. 
He did not have a set church. He did not have a set college where he taught. He just traveled and traveled and traveled. Sometimes he would speak three or four times a day for weeks and weeks at a time and then collapse in poor health and, and reconstitute himself and then go at it again, relentlessly traveling by horseback or by carriage, not only through the 13 American colonies, but through Great Britain, Ireland, Bermuda, and Scotland. And so that's an aspect of his life that is really, really sort of um, intimidating to think, travel, travel, preach, preach, over and over, day after day, twice, three times, four times a day till he collapsed, got better, started again. And doing all of this in various weather, uh, in a, like I said, on horseback or in a carriage, and, uh, and still people came to hear him. They came in the snow. They came in the heat of the summer of Georgia and South Carolina or in the snow of New England. There was something about him that was different, something about him that was attractive to the colonists um, uh, in the years before the American Revolution. How did he impact Hezekiah Smith? Well, um, the, Hezekiah Smith is one of many uh, ministers, uh, colonial ministers of civilian churches who, when wartime came, left their pulpits and left their churches and enlisted as chaplains in the colonial army. Uh, there were over 250-ish, more or less, uh, chaplains, and Hezekiah Smith is, was one of many. Uh, he was a Baptist pastor from Haverhill, Massachusetts. He came into contact with Whitfield while Smith was a young man, was influenced by Whitfield's preaching, not only his theology, but also his, his um, Whitfield's relentlessness of, of pursuing and preaching and counseling and ministering day after day after day. This appealed to Hezekiah Smith, and it real, people called, actually called Smith a second Whitfield. Uh, he preached as an itinerant, as Whitfield did. Uh, he had large rallies outside. Uh, and different than Whitfield, however, Smith was a pastor of a church in Haverhill, but then he would leave for months at a time and do itinerant preaching throughout the colonies. An interesting thing about Hezekiah Smith is that he transferred his theology, his civilian theology of religious freedom in Christ and the liberty of conscience, and he transferred that to freedom and independence in political matters and civil matters. And the idea is that for people like Smith, that when he became a new person inside, he wanted to have a culture of freedom and liberty, not only on the inside, but on the outside as well. And so having this freedom, as Hezekiah Smith would explain it, he'd say, I have freedom and access to God directly. Why do I need a British king? Why do I need a British Bishop, why do I need Great Britain at all? I have freedom and independence. And so Smith took that theology that he learned and, and copied, or, or at least um, uh, acquired from Whitfield, and made that uh, his life's calling. Uh, he has many, he kept a journal, and many of his uh, journal comments uh, from the Revolutionary War. It talks about him in the, in the 4th Continental Regiment as a brigade chaplain. Uh, he talks about him interacting with General Washington, his um, tours as a chaplain around New York City and the Hudson River and in New Jersey. Um, Smith, uh, his journal is really insightful because he's talking about in his journal uh, that 
The cause of our country, he wrote, is joined with the cause of souls. And this is why I'm a chaplain. So in his mind, he saw that freedom religiously was also the, uh, a door that opened to freedom politically. Uh, and so freedom and free, freedom politically and freedom for religion were one and the same for Smith and others of chaplains. Because back then there was no separation of church and state. For these folks, the secular and the sacred were the same. They didn't make that distinction uh, of separation of church and state. They, to them, it was all one. God was everywhere and in everything, including the, in the military, in their chaplaincy efforts. So that is, that's essentially a little bit about Hezekiah Smith. Talk about a person you write about, Samuel Spring. Sure. Samuel Spring was born in 1846 uh, in central Massachusetts in a rural area. He had... Um, he was influenced as a young man by George Whitfield. When Samuel Spring went to college in Princeton, New Jersey, Whitfield had spoken at the school, and the school was supportive of Whitfield's traveling preaching. Uh, Spring was one of those people who was greatly influenced by the legacy of Whitfield. And in April of 1775, Samuel Spring volunteered to be a chaplain. And that summer, he was working with the troops that, had, that invaded Canada. He suffered all the hardships with the troops, and he won their respect. And there's even a, a time uh, in the records that speak about uh, when Sunday, Sundays came, the soldiers piled up their knapsacks into a makeshift pulpit. And then an assistant helped Chaplain Spring mount this makeshift pulpit made of knapsacks so he could preach in the open fields to the soldiers. Well, that model of preaching in the open fields, that came from Whitfield. Spring had observed that, had read about that, had seen that, and he copied it in the, in the colonial army. Uh, it was, he was very popular with the soldiers and the troops, and one of those reasons was he had what we might call that Whitfieldian work ethic, meaning relentless pursuit of helping soldiers uh, and, and people to hear the message. And he'd go from place to place, two, three, four serv religious services a day, counseling on the line, going to the hospital to minister to the wounded, doing military funerals and other military tasks. And that energy that Samuel Spring had, he, he learned, as did Hezekiah and other chaplains from George Whitfield. What influence did Whitefield have on Ebenezer David? Could you tell us about him? I think he was born in 1740, which was the year that Whitfield first came to New England. Um, chaplain Ebenezer David was from Rhode Island. Um, his ministry, I'm sorry, his military chaplaincy experience was shorter than others that we'll be talking about because he was in ill health. Uh, but uh, Chaplain David was directly influenced by Whitfield. He um, became a, a correspondent of Whitfield, and they debated certain things because Chaplain David was a Baptist, and so he believed in baptism based on a profession of faith, and Whitfield was a Church of England minister, and he believed that baptism was done on babies, and the profession of faith would come later in that baby's life. So they didn't agree on that, but they were very um, similar in other ways. Um, the message of, of a evangelical Calvinism, meaning not the stiff, rigid, stoic Calvinism of New England's founding fathers, but rather a more uh, personal, individual faith, um, Ebenezer David was e he easily transferred 
that freedom that he had, that he believed he should share with others, that religious freedom, direct access to God, he saw that as easily transferred to the cause of liberty and political freedom in the colonies. As in 1776, he became one of the first chaplains commissioned in the Continental Army. He served in the siege of Boston and the New York campaign and served off and on for about three or so years and even was at Valley Forge uh, during that terrible winter of uh, 1777-78. Due to the poor treatment of the wounded and sickness and disease in the camps, David thought he might be able to help. So he transferred from the chaplain corps to be a medical officer uh, because he saw so much uh, pain and suffering as he went in the tents as a chaplain. So he thought he'd learn medicine, but because of declining health, he was discharged from the military in 1778, and he died shortly thereafter. You write about Timothy Dwight as a, as a meaningful person in this regard. Uh, how did Whitefield affect his view of things? Yes. So, Timothy Dwight is, what, is the, a name of one of these chaplains we're talking about that may be a little bit more familiar uh, to those who are not uh, really um, knowledgeable about American church history. Because Timothy Dwight was at one time the president, uh, uh, they called it rector back then, but the president of Yale, Yale College, now Yale University in Connecticut. Uh, he was from a distinguished family, uh, had an excellent education, and was raised under, as a child under the influence of stories of George Whitfield. Uh, when George Whitfield was traveling and preaching. Um, Whitfield actually met Timothy Dwight when Dwight was a boy, and that had a, lo- a lo- lasting influence on Timothy Dwight's life. Um, George Whitfield spoke at Yale College while Timothy Dwight was there. Uh, Yale had a, an on-again, off-again relationship with Whitfield, but uh, eventually they um, reconciled their differences. Dwight was licensed to preach in 1777, and then shortly after became a, a con- was appointed by Continental Congress as a chaplain with Connecticut's Continental Brigade. He served with, now this is an academic person, not someone who's used to living life in the field. He came from a wealthy family, and yet he'd served with distinction as his troops skirmished and performed raids in New York City, in New York and Connecticut, lived in the field and preached and counseled uh, and uh, prayed with the soldiers, buried the dead, and uh, was a significant uh, contributor to the cause of the, of the colonial army. Uh, he was a confidant of General Washington. His chaplain ministries were lauded, and people appreciated his, uh, his work ethic. And, and secondly, they appreciated his ability to speak in the open fields. And again, these are two things that Timothy Dwight learned from George Whitfield. Speaking in the open fields is, was something that was very popular, because if you're a soldier and you're in, on orders and you're in the field, you don't have a church building to meet in. So the preaching was outside. Chaplain Dwight did a great job, and Pete, he was commended for all of his um, service. And after the war, um, men like Timothy Dwight understood that, that God had granted them freedom through Jesus, and so, <clears throat> so that freedom they were able to transfer or uh, pass along to political and civic activities, because as I mentioned before, to these uh, early colonial ministers who became chaplains, everything was owned by God. There was no separation of the secular and the sacred. God owned everything. And so as a chaplain, Timothy Dwight took his academic excellence and his 
brilliance in various languages, and he made that message applicable to the masses. And the, and the person who was known as an excellent field preacher and who took the Bible message and made it applicable and understandable to the common people, well, that was George Whitfield. And so Chaplain Dwight learned those lessons of field preaching uh, and of, of the work ethic and of the message itself being understood by the common person. He learned all of that uh, from George Whitfield. How does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better? I think Whitfield's influence upon the colonists and the Revolutionary War was profound. And over the last 20 years, multiple uh, books have been written looking at the Revolutionary War from a religious perspective. Uh, it's interesting because some of these books are, are titled, for example, George Whitfield, America's Spiritual Founding Father. But think about that for a minute. Another book uh, is called calls George Whitfield a forgotten founding father. And these books are trying to talk about Whitfield's influence. My article was on the chaplains. These books are actually on the colonists themselves, not only the ministers, but the people who heard the ministers. I think the religious culture, as I focused on New England, the religious culture in New England was really very significant because a lot of the initial settlers in New England were fleeing religious persecution. So Whitfield reminded them of what Whitfield thought was their glorious religious heritage back from the days of the Puritans. And so he brought back a message that was sort of overlooked or ignored uh, or overwhelmed with liturgy and ceremony and uh, formality. And he was able to focus the attention of the clergy as well as the average citizens that they were free, not only in God, but because they were free in a relationship with God, that meant they could be free citizens in a free country. And through Whitfield's incessant travels in the colonies, he was really the first unifying force of, the all, of all 13 colonies. Uh, as the Revolutionary War was, was, was stirring, folks in New England would be saying, uh, down with Great Britain. But folks in South Carolina would say, we're enjoying the comforts of Great Britain. And folks in Connecticut might be saying, we don't want these taxes. But folks in North Carolina or Georgia might be saying, well, we're comfortable with these taxes because we're Anglicans and we serve the king. So the, the 13 colonies were not unified until George Whitfield traveled incessantly through these 13 colonies. And as he, as he preached and counseled and prayed and people heard his message of freedom and independence in God that could mean freedom and independence in politics and in civic affairs, it really took over the whole 13 colonies so that Whitfield was really the first unifying force in the 13 colonies. He was the most popular person in the colonies during his life. You people say, who's the most famous George? in colonial America. And a lot of people might say George Washington. Well, George Washington, a little bit later, because for 30 years before George Washington was popular, the most famous George in the New World was George Whitfield. Traveled throughout all 13 colonies, preached to millions of people, um, toured relentlessly, uh, spoke passionately, and gained a huge following. 
and Whitfield's followers, not only in the clergy that became chaplains, but in everyday farmers, businessmen, and merchants, when the Revolutionary War cause came and war was declared, thousands and thousands of men left home, left their churches, left their businesses to join in a cause because they were free in God. They also insisted that they be free in political and civil matters. They denounced the British king as a meddler and the British bishop as a false leader because they were free in Jesus and they wanted to be free in their political and civil lives as well. That's why I think George Whitfield and this article is influential for others. Kenneth Lawson, thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you so much. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.